Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today I'm with Dr. Michael Patrick. He goes by Dr. Mike. He's an assistant professor of pediatrics at the Ohio State uh, Medical School and the producer and host of the pediatric podcast, PediaCast. Dr. Mike, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, it is really great being here with you, Jacob. Appreciate you inviting me. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Well, thanks. Well, Dr. Mike, before we dive in uh, to, our, to our topic, uh, to our, the two uh, common childhood illnesses of, of croup and bronchiolitis, uh, can you give us a quick background on yourself? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I'm a, a practicing pediatrician, and it was back in 2006 when I was in the midst of a very busy uh, private practice that I started uh, podcasting, and I started uh, PediaCast back then just as a way to share educational information with parents. And, you know, in the exam room, you can sort of give the encapsulated short description of something. But oftentimes parents like to know a little more of the science, which, you know, that's the half hour conversation instead of the 10 minute conversation. And so we can go into things a little bit deeper and, and then I can, you know, tell folks, hey, this is the most important things you need to know. But if you want to know uh, all the details, you know, check out podcast episode, whatever. So I started doing that, uh, like I said, over 15 years ago and uh, it's still going strong. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I, I listened to a few episodes and and really liked it. I'm sure that's a terrific service uh, for parents to be able to listen to and learn more about the illness that their child has. Um, wonderful. And yeah, and I'll put the link to your podcast in the description. I advise all listeners to go listen. It really is a terrific podcast. Uh, so Dr. Mike, um, when we talk about croup and, and bronchiolitis, uh, it'll be fun to sort of compare and contrast them. Uh, to help listeners sort of better understand both these diseases, can you give us some of the, the immune system physiology and respiratory tract physiology so we can better understand these diseases and maybe some of the, the differences prior to going into the symptoms and diagnosis and treatments of these diseases? Yeah, absolutely. So both bronchiolitis, and by the way it is, and you said it correctly, it is bronchiolitis, not bronchitis. Sometimes folks get those two things confused. Uh, but bronchiolitis uh, just describes the smallest of airways down deep in the lungs as opposed to uh, bronchitis, which is the bronchioles, which are the larger airways. So we're down deeper into the lungs with bronchiolitis uh, compared to bronchitis. And both uh, bronchiolitis and croup are respiratory infections. So these are respiratory viruses that cause both of them and they're really, even, even though there's a particular virus that is most likely to cause each one, they're really clinical syndromes, meaning that they're a set of symptoms that occur together that can really be caused by a wide variety of viruses. So just as an example, uh, bronchiolitis is most often caused by RSV or the respiratory syncytial virus and croup is most often caused by parainfluenza virus, which is a little different than the flu. It's not influenza, it's parainfluenza, which is different. And so those are the most common etiologies in, in terms of the virus involved. However, uh, lots of different viruses, including rhinovirus, which typically causes the common cold, uh, influenza, which causes the flu, even COVID, uh, COVID-19 can also cause uh, bronchiolitis and croup. It's not as often, uh, but it's a possibility. And so uh, really when we diagnose this, it's not a matter of, of figuring out which virus it is. It's identifying the set of symptoms that are occurring together 
and then that's when we would call it either bronchiolitis or croup. The other difference between the two is really where the primary inflammation is in the airway. So with bronchiolitis, it's going to be, as we mentioned, those, those deep down tiny air tubes called bronchioles. And with croup, uh, the primary inflammation is around the vocal cords, you know, much higher up in the throat. And because that inflammation is happening at different levels, that's why you get really a different set of symptoms that you see, uh, you know, as you as we talk about bronchiolitis and croup. Very interesting. Okay, so to reiterate for listeners, uh, bronchiolitis and, and croup aren't defined by being a specific virus. They're defined by the, the clinical symptoms. Uh, that could be from a variety of viruses. Yes, that is correct. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, and you mentioned that they come from different places uh, anatomically, and that's why we see these different symptoms. What are these symptoms that you see uh, in the children that come into you? Yeah, that is a great question. So uh, for babies who have bronchiolitis, they tend to make a lot of mucus and that mucus really plugs up those small airways. They also make a lot of mucus in their nose as well. And so these babies will come in really stuffy, uh, lots of nasal congestion, and that is making it hard for them to breathe. Now, one interesting thing about babies is they, when they're, especially when they're very young, they are obligate nose breathers. And what that means is they have not learned how to modulate their breathing from being in their nose versus being in, through their mouth. <laughs> so oh. like if we have a really stuffy nose, we can just automatically bypass our nose, just you know, breathe in and out through our mouth. Babies can't do that. They will struggle to breathe through their nose no matter how stuffy it is. So, uh, so really bad stuffy nose is gonna be one. And of course, and that leads to a primary treatment, which is to suck the, the mucus out of their nose. And that can really help them quite a bit. Uh, but then the other thing is because they have mucus and inflammation down in those tiny little airways, they're also going to have um, some difficulty breathing. They can have some problems with getting oxygen into their body. Uh, they can start looking like they're working really hard to breathe. Uh, so they're breathing fast. Uh, they can look sort of in between their ribs like they're sucking between, you know, you can see sucking in between the ribs, above the rib cage, under the rib cage. And their nose, often with the nostrils, will sort of flare as they're really trying to work and, and get, get air in with all that mucus that's there. So really, anytime you have a baby who looks like they're having difficulty breathing, you want them to be seen so that we can figure out what's going on and, and what folks need to do about it. So uh, bronchiolitis in, is primarily going to be less than a year of age babies who have a really bad cold and look like they're having trouble breathing. That's the... the, the uh, key set of symptoms that we see um, that the same virus that causes our that causes bronchiolitis most often rsv older kids and adults can also get it and make they make lots of mucus but their airways are bigger and so the airways can handle that inflammation can handle that mucus and there's still room for air uh, so generally in older kids it's just a cold and uh, and not really all that dangerous uh, it's, it's really the little tiny babies especially less than a year of age that we worry about the most uh, croup on the other hand because there's inflammation around the vocal cords uh, they start to have sort of a hoarse sound uh, to their voice sometimes and also when they cough it has sort of a hoarseness to it uh, when it really gets inflamed we call that a barky cough because it sounds like a seal barking you could say a dog barking it just has a really distinctive sound 
And if you're questioning whether your child has a croupy cough or a barky cough, you can always go to YouTube. It's a great source for what something sounds like. And you can you know, see exactly what a barky cough is like in a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, as the inflammation around the vocal cords gets more progressed, now air as it comes in starts to have some trouble and they'll develop a noise called strider. And strider is just a high-pitched noise with every breath that kids make when they breathe in. And that's that's a sign of more advanced croup. Uh, you definitely want to see someone when that starts to happen. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting to me to be able to compare back and forth and uh, to sort of think, think through these things. Um, I want to ask how common are both these in, in children, like out of how many, like what's the percentage of people that get it? How common is it? Yeah, great question. Um, I would say it is two of the more common things that we see in pediatrics. So I don't have percentages for you, but I can say that during their typical season, uh, the average pediatrician is going to see bronchiolitis and croup nearly every day. So uh, they're really extremely common. Uh, but here's the interesting thing. They're both usually common in the winter. So uh, croup kind of gets, they, there's a seasonality to a lot of pediatric illnesses, including croup and bronchiolitis. And croup most typically starts up in the fall, you know, kind of late fall and into early winter. Mm -hmm. And then bronchiolitis sort of follows on the tails of croup and is usually mid-winter and into early spring that we most typically see it. But interestingly, uh, and this is not just a phenomenon where I practice, really, I, you know, I've talked to pediatricians all across the country and everybody is seeing this right now. There is a ton of bronchiolitis and croup out there right now in the middle of summer, which typically we don't see it at all in the, in the middle of summer. And we don't know exactly why, but it's most likely related to the COVID-19 pandemic and the fact that all last year, uh, kids were not exposed to RSV and uh, parainfluenza virus, so they didn't get bronchiolitis and croup during last winter. And so our immune system has not been used to fighting it off. Because remember, when we're out and about, uh, you may come into contact with particular viruses and your immune system, uh, you may not get sick. You may be symptomatic, you're carrying that virus, you can give it to someone else. I think we're, we're all understanding this more in this age of COVID. That same sort of thing happens with uh, other viruses, including RSV and uh, parainfluenza virus. And so if you're not getting that constant little bump of the virus so that your immune system is sort of training for it uh, in small doses so that when the bigger dose comes along, maybe you won't get quite as sick. And so because we didn't have any, this is a theory, uh, but because we didn't have any little doses of it throughout the winter because of social distancing, because of mask wearing, you know, now a smaller amount of the virus can sort of evade the immune system and cause the illness. So that's one theory of why in the world we're seeing so much bronchiolitis and croup right now compared to pretty much every, you know, I've been a pediatrician over 25 years and I don't ever remember a summer where we saw croup and bronchiolitis like this. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah, the world's been different in the last yeah. year and a half, including- yeah, In many, many ways. Yeah, in many ways. <laughs> wow, okay, very interesting. Um, okay, so back to sort of our, our symptoms of, of croup and, and bronchiolitis. Uh, so you have a kid come in, uh, he either has this horse cough, uh, or he comes in a little baby, like very mucousy, struggling to breathe. 
How do you then come to that diagnosis? Is it just on those symptoms alone, or is there other things that you, you would take into consideration? Yeah, another really terrific question. And for the most part, these are gonna be a clinical diagnosis. So you, you take that set of symptoms that you're seeing, and uh, that gives you this idea of, of what the diagnosis is. So as I mentioned, you know, really a baby with lots of mucus, they're having difficulty breathing, you're gonna think about bronchiolitis. Uh, an uh, older kid, you know, maybe anywhere from 18 months up to about five years of age, uh, they come in with a barky cough and maybe that inspiratory strider and you're gonna think about croup. Now, having said that, there are some other things that could cause similar symptoms that you would wanna really make sure is not going on. And a lot of that is just asking the parents more questions, getting more history, looking at a little more of the symptoms that are there. Um, if there's a fever present, both with bronchiolitis and with croup, you feel a little bit better that this is an infectious uh, disease. Uh, other things that could you know, cause a baby to have difficulty breathing, uh, heart disease. So if they're born with a congenital heart problem and their blood is not uh, pumping through the lungs appropriately, so they're not getting oxygen because some of the blood's bypassing the lungs because of a birth defect in their heart. Um, those kids could show up as a young baby having difficulty breathing, um, but they're usually not gonna be snotty in the nose. Uh, there certainly wouldn't be a fever present with that. Uh, your lung exam may sound a little bit differently. So th there's little nuances in terms of, you know, figuring out those things. Uh, stuff that could help with that, you know, if you could get a chest x-ray, if you were worried about their heart, you know, listening to their heart sounds, you know, feeling their pulses, that sort of thing uh, can be helpful. Uh, with croup, um, a couple other things that come to mind that could cause similar symptoms. Uh, one is a foreign body. You know, so if you have a kid who puts things in their mouth and they aspirate and there's something down there in the throat that's not supposed to be there, uh, that could cause a barky cough and inspiratory strider. But that also is not going to have a fever associated with it. You know, probably not going to have runny nose and congestion, which often does go along with croup. On the other hand, you don't have to have fever with either bronchiolitis or croup every time. It just depends on the kid. So it really is a gestalt, you know, getting in and, you know, once you've been a pediatrician and, and seeing lots of kids, you get a good feel for this is typical or there's aspects of this that aren't typical and we need to investigate this a little further to make sure we really do have the right diagnosis. Um, unfortunately, there's not a, a quick test that you can do to say, is this bronchiolitis or is this um, croup? Uh, you can test for those particular viruses, uh, but the, there's a rapid RSV test but it, often it doesn't matter that you, again, that you identify which virus it is. I guess you'd feel better that it is bronchiolitis if the RSV pops up positive. Um, but those, those you know, tend to be expensive tests and aren't always, most of the time, they're not really necessary. Uh, with croup, there's not a rapid para-influenza virus test. You'd have to send off a PCR. It usually takes a couple days to come back. You know, it's several hundred dollars. And again, by the, by the time you got the result back, the kid's croup's getting better <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So it didn't really matter that we identified which virus was the culprit. Yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, I've, I've talked with my dad about that before when I've been sick. I'm like, what is happening? Why can't, why can't they tell me what virus this is? He's just like, from my experience in medicine, it's just it's not worth it. It doesn't make sense to identify it. It makes more sense to start treating yeah, based yeah. On, 
on symptoms. Yeah, if you're sick enough to be in the hospital, you know, then it makes some sense. Let's, you know, if we're worried that there could be a blood infection or something else going on, you know, having that identifying which virus it is can make you feel better that it's just a virus and we don't have to investigate this further. But for kids who aren't sick enough to be in the hospital, it really most of the time doesn't, like you say, it doesn't really matter. And it's, it's a, another expense. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so how do you then move forward in, in treating these patients? Yeah, uh, so these are viral infections, so antibiotics do not help. Uh, there are no antibiotics <laughs> point for out. either bronchiolitis or uh, croup. Uh, really, the main thing that has to happen is your immune system has to fight the virus, and most viruses take about two weeks uh, to go away. You know, the worst is usually the first week. You know, the worst part of the first week is usually days three to five and then uh and then things slowly get better after that and that's the same with lots of viruses you know you get that little lingering cough that second week um, but you just really want to support kids make sure they're getting lots of fluids lots of rest um, that they're not losing weight or getting dehydrated uh, if they're having fevers or they're uncomfortable you know using age appropriate and weight appropriate doses of things like acetaminophen or ibuprofen or um you know, the Advil, Motrin, Tylenol, you know, those kind of medications uh, can, and of course, we'd always recommend that folks uh, either use the, what's the dose that's on the label, or if you have any questions, call your child's doctor to get the right dose. Uh, in, in little babies, because bronchiolitis tends to affect them, especially babies less than two months of age, if they have a fever, they need to be seen because there's other infections that can, that can cause fever in little babies that we really worry about. Um, so really making them comfortable is, is going to be the primary thing that, that we're going to do to treat these, these illnesses. Uh, with bronchiolitis, as I mentioned, sucking their nose out can go a long way to helping these kids because you can't suck the mucus out of their deep, tiny little bronchioles, but you can suck it out of their nose. And oftentimes, not, a, not every time, but often when you get that mucus out of the nose, they're breathing easier and they're much less likely to end up in an emergency room or you know hospitalized with, with this. Um, best way to suck the nose out is I have found is with the human powered suction device. So this is a little catheter, little tube that you put in your baby's nose. And then the other end of the tube goes in your mouth and you suck the, the tube and literally suck the snot out of your kid's nose. Oh. Now, the good thing is there's a filter okay. in a chamber. There's a, a chamber and a filter between the two. That's good. So they're, yeah, their mucus is not going to go in your mouth, uh, but it works really well, much better than a bulb syringe. Oh. And then the other thing is to use some uh, salt water or saline nose drops. You can buy those over the counter. They're the non-medicated uh, nasal drops, just saline, salt water. Uh, and you put a drop or two, you know, in each nostril one at a time, and then suck that back out with that human-powered suction device. And that loosens up the mucus and really gets it out of there for you. Okay. You don't want to do it too often because you can irritate the lining of the nose and cause swelling and, and actually make things worse. But, you know, if you do it every couple hours, that's usually adequate. You just don't want to be doing it every 20 minutes. Okay. But every every couple hours is good. You know, in the those days three to five when it's really bad, you may need to do it every hour for a little bit. Uh, but just really keeping their nose clear and uh, and making sure they're getting lots of fluids. To clarify, the human powered yeah. sucking device is the name. Yeah, of the... one of the yeah one of the brands is Nose Frida, okay. uh, and and there are probably other ones out there. Um, but that's the the one that comes to my mind that we have you know in our local area that most of the pharmacies have them in stock. 
Uh, but yeah, they're just a little tube that, you know, one end goes in your child's nose, the other end goes in your mouth and, and you suck. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So that's bronchiolitis and, and its treatment, really just supportive care. Uh, in the past, we've done things like uh, breathing treatments with albuterol, like you would, because they're wheezing often. And so, you know, you, you, the gut instinct is to treat it like asthma with uh, steroid medications and breathing treatments. But really, the, there's a lot of literature out there that shows that kids who get those things uh, do not do any better than kids that just get supportive care. And they have side effects, especially the albuterol, you know, it makes babies' hearts beat faster. They can become anxious with the albuterol. And it just, it does not keep them out of the hospital. And so we just, you know, again, supportive care is the most the most important thing you can do. So then uh, transitioning over to croup, again, it's a virus. So supportive care is gonna be important. Uh, things that can help reduce the inflammation around the vocal cords and, uh, and help these kids out. Uh, one's gonna be moisture. So we know that more moist, humid air uh, travels through smaller spaces a little bit better, just with laminar airflow. Uh, it's a little less turbulent as it's weighted down with moisture. And so those kids, you know, it, traditionally, when we've seen them mostly in the fall, you know, as the heaters come on, it dries the air out inside the house a bit more. And often just stepping outside and walking down the block and breathing that you know air that's got more moisture in it outside often helps so a lot of these kids sound terrible at home the parents bring them into an urgent care or an emergency department and by the time they get there they sound great because they were outside in that you know more moisture ridden air uh, the other thing that can help is turning a shower on real hot and getting the bathroom steamy you don't want to take the, the you know the child into the really hot shower but you can just let them breathe that steamy air in the bathroom with the shower going and oftentimes that'll help uh, even opening the freezer and you know that uh that roll of moisture that comes out of the out of the freezer even though that's cold air you know breathing that in sometimes will also help relieve their cough a little bit so uh so just you know moist air or humidifier in the bedroom you know those kind of things uh, the other thing that can help is a dose of steroid medication and so if your kid has a really severe barky cough and it's keeping them up or they do, they're getting to the point where they have that strider, that noise when they're breathing in, uh, then we can use a steroid medicine. You do need to see a doctor for that. Uh, most of us just use a one dose steroid called dexamethasone and it lasts for a couple days in the body, reducing that swelling around the vocal cords. And then by the time it's wearing off, the virus is starting to go away. And at least the, the worst part of the virus, that three to five day period. Uh, is getting better on its own already, and so you you don't need the steroids. Sometimes kids they'll get better, then the strider will come back. They might need a second dose of the dexamethasone, uh, but that's usually pretty good. Kids who have severe strider, so like with every breath, uh, whether they're active or at rest, that strider is just persistent. So we know their airway is getting more inflamed. Um, at that point, we do use a breathing treatment with uh, racemic epinephrine. And uh, that often helps dramatically at just relaxing the smooth muscle in the airway and creating more space and letting more air in. The only thing with that is that, of course, it has to be done in a doctor's office or urgent care or emergency department. And then those kids need to be watched uh, for several hours afterward because as the epinephrine wears off, sometimes the swelling returns and it can return worse than it was when you when it went away mm. so you want to make sure that those kids don't need a second one after the epinephrine wears off most of the time they don't uh, but sometimes they do and when they do they're often going to need a third one and a fourth one 
just for a couple of days. But in that case, you do need to be admitted to the hospital because we don't do the racemic epinephrine treatments at home. Again, just because that rebound can come on fast and be pretty severe and you want to be in a medical facility if that were to happen. Um, so th there's some risk involved in that sense with the racemic epi, but the epinephrine, but there's more risk, of course, with not doing anything and letting that swelling just get worse and worse. And then finally uh, causing kids not to get enough air in. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That, yeah, that's, re that's really interesting to hear and sort of interesting to hear the, the differences. Um, to reiterate for listeners, so with bronchiolitis, you're going to use a human-powered sucking device uh, to suck, <laughs> to literally suck the mucus out of their nose. Luckily, there's a filter, so you're not getting their mucus in your in your mouth. Um, and then for for croup, you will usually, if you walk outside, get a little more humid air. Uh, maybe hot, steamy shower can help, but if not, uh, a steroid. Uh, steroid injection is usually what you use, and then in some cases, epinephrine. Yep. Does that cover and, all and of it, it in total? Yeah, although uh, it used to be a steroid injection, we actually now do by mouth. Oh, you so do those kids just, oh, okay. Yeah, they just get a single dose by mouth of uh, Decadron, which is the dexamethasone. Uh, but, but, you know, when I was training, it was a shot of steroid, but uh, fortunately oh. for, for young kids, we've uh, transitioned over to oral and it works just as well. Oh, no, that's, that's, that's even better. That's wonderful. And then I, I found it interesting when you said in the past uh, for bronchiolitis, they usually um, would treat it with albuterol, try to treat it like asthma, and they found it's, it's better not to do so. I think that's assuring to hear that those improvements have been made. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, we, we often will still get parents, you know, who may have an older child that a few years ago, they did get breathing treatments when they had bronchiolitis. And so we have to do, you know, some education and explaining as to why uh, we're not doing those anymore. Th there are a couple of exceptions to that. You know, if you have a baby with lung disease, uh, especially if they were born premature, um, so they had underdeveloped lungs, there may be some scar tissue in their lungs and maybe they're already prone to breathe, to wheezing uh, even in normal times where they get a little cold and they wheeze even though it's not bronchiolitis it's just a you know common cold and they wheeze with it so if there's that history you may try albuterol and and see if it helps them dramatically and if it does then fantastic um, another situation is especially as you get into older babies who do have bigger airways and if there's a family history of asthma uh, then you might give one a try, especially if they're right around that 12 month or older age. Um, but again, that's part of getting that clinical history and realizing medicine's not cookbook. Uh, there are certainly recommendations and ways that we typically do things, but when a history runs outside of normal or typical, sometimes then our treatment has to also be a little bit different. And so in those cases, you might try uh, albuterol still, but for most babies, uh, that is, is not gonna be helpful. Okay, okay, yeah. That's that's good. That's good to know. Um, so, Doctor Mike, uh, I'm curious with with kids coming in for croup and bronchiolitis, uh, are your patients are they? Is it usually like a a once in a life thing, or usually your patients coming in each fall and winter, except for this year because it's been weird. Uh, is it more of a recurring thing, or is it sort of a like once or twice in childhood? Yeah, that another great question, and it depends on the child. So there are kids who you can get bronchiolitis more than once. Uh, so, but the good news with that is that as your airways get bigger, 
uh, it's less likely to be that that syndrome of difficulty breathing. So a lot of babies who get it by the time the next winter rolls around, they're a little less likely to get it because their airways are a bit bigger. And certainly by their third winter, uh, you're probably not going to see it at that point. So it's it's not usually recurrent in terms of like every single season, but uh, they could get it a couple times in one winter. There are some different strains of RSV uh, that kids can get. And as I mentioned, other viruses can cause that same sort of syndrome. And so it is possible to get it more than once, but many kids only get it one time. I'd say that's the most typical thing, uh, but sometimes we do see kids that, that may get it a couple times. But the good news is as they get older, they sort of outgrow it. Uh, croup uh, is really the same thing. You know, there are kids who, uh, you know, every time that they get uh, parainfluenza virus infection, there are several strains of that as well. Uh, they'll get sort of croupy with it, and that may happen a couple times in one winter, or it may happen, you know, their second or third winter. You know, by the time they go to kindergarten, usually their airway's big enough that they might just have a hoarse voice and, you know, a little hoarse cough. Uh, but it's not, at, they don't get the strider with it. And so you typically, kids will outgrow croup as well as bronchiolitis. So I guess an answer to your question, you know, most kids don't get it recurrently, but it is possible and plenty of kids do get more than one episode. Um, the treatment's the same. Uh, one caveat with croup is if you have a kid who with every little cold, this happens, you know, you start to think, well, could there be something anatomically wrong with their airway? Maybe they have a stricture, a narrowing, especially, you know, if they were premature and they had a breathing tube down after birth that was there for a while, maybe there was some, you know, some uh, traumatic injury from the breathing tube. And so it's probably any kid with recurrent croup or a really severe croup, you know, it may be worthwhile to have an ear, nose and throat evaluation to actually take a scope and look down and make sure that there's not something that's making them prone to having this happen. Uh, but again, that is uh, definitely the exception and, and not the normal. Most kids, you know, with croup just get one or two episodes and, and by go to kindergarten and from then on out, this is not a problem anymore. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's that makes sense. And that's, that's good that it is, it doesn't happen over and over again. Um, yeah, wonderful, yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Mike, thanks so much for your time. Before we wrap up, uh, is there anything else you'd like listeners to know about croup and bronchiolitis or, or medicine and pediatrics in general? Yeah, I think the most important thing is really be careful where you get your information um, about uh, diseases, not only in kids, but, you know, in adults as well. And as we're all going through this pandemic together, you know, information out on the Internet is so easy uh, to put out there and so easy to consume. But you want to really look at the source and make sure that you're you're listening to an expert in whatever area uh, of medicine that we're talking about. Uh, because anyone can say anything, but there's a lot of misinformation and uh, myths and, uh, uh, you know, just bad advice that's out on the internet these days. And so it's really important to get, get your information from a trusted source. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And Dr. Mike, you are a trusted source. And I I appreciate what you do, and, and yeah, uh, listeners, go check out PediaCast, terrific podcast, lots of different episodes on all sorts of different pediatric illnesses and, and all sorts of things to learn. So, Dr. Mike, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, it was great, wonderful being here. Thank you so much.